Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. You know what? You could become victim to investment fraud. You think it won't happen to you? Well, let me tell you something. It happens to a lot of people, unfortunately. And telling us some of the pitfalls and the things that we can do to prevent being a victim, Owen Donnelly's here. He's the chief counsel of the Office of Investor Education for the Securities and Exchange Commission. Welcome back, Owen. We've seen you a number of times. We always find some interesting things to talk about. And you've put out a, a recent alert on some of the, the things and the things that people need to do when they're thinking about investing. So let's talk about for investors, whether they're, they've been investing for a long time or whether they're newbies. It doesn't matter. There are still some basic things you need to do. Am I right? That's absolutely right. Uh, I think sometimes there's a stereotype that a victim of fraud is unsophisticated or new to investing, and that's candidly just often not the case. But there are some core you know, five, six, seven things that we can teach, each, we can teach one another to do that can help investors protect themselves and, and make far better decisions. Now, one of the things that you all suggest that everyone do before they do any investing is to do a background check. So, and you all make that easier for us to do that, right? I mean, not only do we want to find references from the person who's going to be giving us investment advice, but we also want to do a background check to see who and what they are. Absolutely. Uh, the vast majority uh, of, of fraud that affects retail investors uh, isn't isn't really by someone who's a licensed broker or a licensed advisor. So much of the fraud we see is by people who are not licensed. And an easy way to confirm that the person who's selling you investment is licensed to do so is going to the website investor.gov and type in their name in the search box. Uh, if they are a licensed person, whether they're a broker-dealer, whether they're an investment advisor, their name will come up along with a short, succinct report about their background. Uh, if if someone pitches you an investment and they are not licensed, that is, they do not come up in our databases, uh, that is a red flag of fraud and uh, an investor should be very, very careful. Well, what you're doing there is you're getting some comfort level that this person has some knowledge and is probably going to be a little bit better prepared to give you investment advice than someone who just puts up a shingle and says investment advice. That's that's absolutely right. And you can also learn more information beside, aside from just registration. For example, you can find out uh, how many firms the person's worked for. So you might, you might take it in consideration if a person has changed their firm every year for the last seven years, or they have you know four or five complaints about the same type of misconduct, you might you might question whether or not that's the person for you to work with. But regardless, you'll have the information. And you do list when people complain, and this is why it's so important for consumers to make their voices heard, because your database will warn us if there's a bad actor out there trying to rip people off. Absolutely. In fact, we have a, a relatively new database that one can also find on Investor.gov uh, called Sally, and that will tell you if the SEC's ever S A L I. It's very easy to access on Investor.gov, and that will tell you if the SEC has sued the person before, which is another, you know, I, I certainly couldn't say you wouldn't ever deal with someone, but that's got to be a red flag and something to consider. I think that would be several <laughs> red flags, Owen. Uh, yes, and that would definitely certainly uh, start my uh, my meter running if, if, I, if I found that out. Now, one of the things that you all, and this I think is something that 
we can put off because, oh, I don't need to start investing now. But that really, your website will show people what happens if you start investing early versus starting 10 years down the road. Absolutely. It is almost impossible to overstate the effect of time on return. Uh, we have a calculator, a compound, compound interest calculator that you can put in assumptions on savings rates and even potential investment rates. Uh, but the difference in starting early is huge. Um, I mean, any, any, every year that you invest over time has exponential greater returns. So what I encourage, whether you know, you're know you in your first job or you're finishing up close to retirement, if you have the bandwidth to invest, you absolutely should. There are, there are some caveats, of course. If you have high interest credit card debts, you should consider paying those off. Uh, on the other hand, if you have an employer who might match money in a retirement account, so if you can contribute 5,000, they will, that's pretty much guaranteed return. That's oh, like yes. 100% guaranteed money uh, that you should take advantage of. But the, the big thing to do is to think about where you are and to contri- contribute to, you, to your future as much as you can. I, I like the fact that you have a calculator there because those things are kind of fun. And they can just, you know, you can do a little bit of dreaming, a little bit of calculating and see where you want to be in 20 years or whatever. Exactly. It's actually our compound interest calculator is one of our our highest used pages. Uh, And it is fun. You can put in different assumptions about what percent you think you'll make or or look at it as a fixed income investment that guarantees a certain Mm -hmm. percentage. Mm -hmm. Uh, But regardless, you'll be in a better place to understand where you will be in the future by using those tools. Now, one of the things that you were telling me before we went on the air is that people's behavior makes a difference in their investments and what what successes they're going to have. And what did you mean by that? We didn't explore it because I said, no, we're going to talk about that for our, <laughs> our listeners. Well, we, we actually uh, conducted a study use, using uh, a number of different resources several years ago. And it, it was really fascinating that people's individual behavior can really affect their returns. For example, um, active active trading, trading in and out and buying and selling frequently, that often does not lead to success. Um, thinking about short-term profit uh, in terms of overall investing and day trading, that's very difficult to do successfully. Uh, on the other hand, with a long-term view, with regular investing, uh, sort of uh, not selling quickly when losses or holding, holding on to losers too long, but just a steady plan seems to do better for investors. So understanding your own behavior and your own tendencies can be very productive in terms of you're looking at what you're going to do. Absolutely. I mean, investing is personal and, you know, my office doesn't give personal investment advice. But just as an anecdote, you know, in in market downturns like 2008, uh, I have a lot of I have a lot of colleagues uh, my age. And and it's very tempting if your 401k has lost half its value to say, I can't lose any more money. The, and, and, and consider selling and cashing out. Um, that may be the right position for you, but I, but I would offer to consider that if you do stop investing at the bottom, you, won't, you would not have gained the last 10 years of, of benefit. So thinking long-term, in my view, is, uh, is really the way to go. And I do need to reiterate the disclaimer I, I, make, I, I make you guys listen to, that these are just my views and not necessarily those <laughs> right. of the SEC or the commission. Right. <laughs> Yours are good views. They're very, very educated views, <laughs> Owen. Um, and behavior, that I, which is, I don't think we would, we need to sit back and analyze it and say, well, you know, what are my tendencies and what do I want to do? And I want to jump all over the place or what kind of strategy am I going to use in this? And and that's really doing a self-analysis. I think that's, uh, that could be useful for anybody to, to figure out what your behaviors are that are, perhaps are going to get in the way of your success, which to me is one way of looking at it because it can get in the way 
of your success. It it absolutely can. I mean, one of the reasons some investors prefer to work with an investment advisor is so when there's a downturn, they can talk to someone and a good investment advisor will personalize the advice, but also make you consider, uh, you know, maybe it is appropriate for you to sell an investment, but if you have long-term goals and you you plan to contribute regularly, that may be a far better path to success um, over the long term. Yeah. And so listen to that advice. It's professional advice. You're paying for it. So listen <laughs> to it. Let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned in to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Owen Donnelly. He's the chief counsel with the Office of Investor Education with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And we're talking about how to be a smarter investor. And we're also going to talk about some really kind of fascinating scams, investment scams, because if you don't know about them, you may be a victim. But before we get to that, let's talk about one of the things that you've emphasized, and you and I have done interviews before, and you talk about the power of diversifying, diversification, how important that is, and, and tell our listeners what you mean by that. Absolutely. Well, you know, the common, the, the easiest way to say it is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, for example, if you're thinking about investing and, and you have a set amount of income, if you put all of your money in one stock or one offering, one investment, you're really taking a risk that if, if something goes off, if, if something you don't expect happens, you may lose everything. On the other hand, if you diversify your investments, and there's a lot of ways to do that, you can buy different types of stocks and, and debt and bonds. You can use something like a mutual fund or ETF, which naturally provides uh, diversification. Um, it can be subset of diversification into a particular sector like technology or healthcare, whatever you're most interested in. But regardless, diversification really does offer some of the best protection uh, against catastrophic loss. Now, no investment's guaranteed, and no set of diverse investments are guaranteed, uh, but you can really reduce risk and, and maximize uh, what you can expect to have in the future mm-hmm. by consider uh, considering a diverse portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense because you don't know what's going to go up today and down tomorrow. So um, now, one of the other big things that I, I think that we should understand, th- this advice isn't free. So we have to understand what kind of fees, maybe some that are disclosed, are there hidden fees as well, perhaps that we don't even know about when we're using a financial advisor? Absolutely. So the number one thing I, I say once you've decided, you know, when you when you've decided you want to work with a professional, is understand what fees you're paying. Um, oftentimes, uh, depending on the services, you might want a full service advisor, someone who will really do a deep dive and monitor your accounts. And that might cost more. On the other hand, you might just want a transactional experience, an online broker that you pay a certain amount for a trade. Those are very different experiences. But you should understand that fees over time add up. If you are paying an annual fee of 1% or 2%, over the course of a long-term of a lifetime, lifetime investment, that could add up to be a ton of money. Now, that does not mean it's not the right decision for you, but you should understand know what it. you're paying for. It's, and you, it's snowing. You, and you've got to ask the questions. You've got to ask, what am I paying and what am I paying for? There are a lot of different answers for different people, but understanding what you're paying is a great, very important first step. Yeah, and you know, are people hesitant sometimes to say, what is this going to cost me? I th- in my in my experience, absolutely. Yeah. If you find someone you like, um, you sort you, one may think, well, they're all sort of the same. I'm all paying the same thing. Uh-uh. And that's just not <laughs> absolutely not the case. Uh, you, you, you do pay different fees for different services and different products. Um, and a good investment advisor, a good broker dealer will tell you exactly what you're paying and why. And, and let you, you make the decision. And do that right. up front. That's a conversation to have a be- in the beginning. Right? That's, a, that's a really good point, now, Shirley. <laughs> you're going to have there are different kinds of investments that are going to cost you more, aren't there? 
Yes, yeah. I mean, there is a wide range of investments that are suitable for regular Main Street investors. And you know, a, a mutual fund might cost one thing, an ETF might cost another, uh, the services of a broker might cost one thing, an advisor another. There really is a, is a, it's a wide spectrum. And there's not, you know, investing is not one size fit, fits all. That's why it's really important right. to do your homework and decide what you want. And yeah. in the same way, when you look at a portfolio, uh, you might consider uh, if you have a 30 or 40 year investment horizon, maybe you can take on more risk. If you're thinking you're closer to retirement, you probably don't want to take on so much mm -hmm. risk. Invest, investing is personal, but you need to get all the information to make the best decision for you. And you all do have some great information on your website, so I'm going to plug that for you. But you've also done something that's kind of fun. and We're not going to play it here on the radio, but you're doing a series of radio spots on investment fraud and other kinds of things with some really kind of lively music and some interesting conversations. So tell me about how how that came about. Absolutely. Well, we're always trying to reach more investors. Uh, and as we discussed, as we've discussed before in the program and, and earlier today, uh, much of the investment fraud we see is by people that aren't licensed. Uh, we put out investor alerts on investor.gov and through sec.gov and we give speeches, but we would really want to hit as mo the most people possible. Um, and so one of the goals of our, our PSA campaign is to have encourage people to do background checks. Uh, we've succeeded, uh, I think, pretty strongly in increasing background checks through our site. And also to let investors know, you know there are free free tools that the SEC provides retail investors, main street investors, that they can use to help them make decisions. And so the goal of the campaign, and it's actually all available on uh, investor.gov, and we push it out on all, all our social media channels, uh, is to let is to let investors know that there's a place they can turn to for, for non-unbiased, real advice. And this is not just, and this is just not for newbies. If you have been doing investing, read it. Read the frauds. I love the fraud section. Of course, you know I would. I mean, it's, I find it kind of fascinating. And speaking of frauds, one of the things you and I were discussing before we came on the air was the guaranteed high refunds. I know I'm going to make a mint on this investment. Boy, is that a red flag. It is the number That's one red flag. It, it, is, it is absolutely true. Uh, I, I say this all the time. Any person that guarantees you a high rate of return and says there's no risk is not telling you the truth. They might not know they're not telling you the truth, but they're not telling you the truth. All investment entails risk. And typically, the greater the potential for reward, the greater the risk. That is not an endorsement or to say not to take risk. Right. But understand if someone says, I guarantee this will make a ton of money for you, that is exceptionally suspicious. <laughs> and the vast majority of fraud we see in the space does include promises like that. Mm -hmm. Yep. They, but you know... It could be possible that you could be investing in a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme, and you could make money up front. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, when we look at Ponzi schemes and, and pyramid schemes is that often uh, in the early part of the fraud, either there will be a return on investment, which is often just new investors' money going back to you, or, which is which happens probably more, more often, is just a statement. So you'll have a statement saying, oh, look, I made 20% this year. Yeah, oh, right. Oh, look, I did it again. <laughs> and then you try to take your money out. Sometimes early investors do receive their money back, though I, I will note that there are legal mechanisms by which um, you know the courts may order some of that money to come back, especially if you might have been aware that there was some wrongdoing. Um, but, but by and large, the early stages of frauds, uh, investors are lulled into thinking they're making money. If you get in towards the end, uh, you know they're the person. You're not going to make anything. <laughs> they're not no. going to make anything. No, uh, but, but it's, it's absolutely true. And, and the best the best answer to that is make sure you're dealing with a licensed person. Make sure yep. you're dealing with a registered investment. And and the other 
part of that is if you do have a bad experience, report it to you all. Oh my gosh. Uh, so that is, it is so important. Because if you don't have the information, you can't make it available to other consumers. And I'm a big believer in consumer education. I think that is so critical. And the only way you can have good information is if consumers get, well, no, you can have other ways, but it's so important to your information that you can share with others, help prevent this crook from ripping off your friends and your family. It, it, okay. With that happy word, let's just take a brief pause here. You're listening to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Owen Donnelly. He's the chief counsel with the Office of Investor Education with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And we're talking about investment, you know, how to how to ensure your future. And, uh, you know, there's some ways, things that are going to be going on that you need to know about. And one of the things are frauds. We were just talking about the Ponzi scheme. And I think that's what Madoff or Madoff or however his name was printed. I always say he made off with everybody's money. Um, anyway, that was a Ponzi scheme, I believe. And he kept putting money in it so he could pay some of the investors. And it just doesn't work, folks. You just lose a bunch. But one of the things that I saw that um, you had sent out to me was something called Internet and Social Media Fraud. Now, tell me what you mean by this. I know the Internet is just a hotbed of all kinds of things. It is, and it, and it is, uh, you know, social media and the Internet have many benefits, but one of the, one of the risks is is the risk of being defrauded. Um, I, I tell a, a quick story about how technology has changed fraud. When I started at the SEC, there was a fraud using fax machines, and a fraudster would uh, find a whole bunch of num- fax numbers, usually doctors because they had money in fax machines, and send two faxes in a row, and the first fax would say, Dear Dr. Smith, here's the hot stock tip I promised you. Buy, buy this stock. Your friend John. And then they'd wait 30 seconds and then send another fax that said, please disregard. I sent this to the wrong doctor. <laughs> and of course, it was a criminal. Oh, how cute. <laughs> the criminal owned uh, what was often a, a, a microcap stock and they owned a ton of it. And if one or two or three of these people would buy five, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, that the criminal would take the money, the price would drop and the classic pump and dump. Um, that was a fraud using technology. It, it's favorites the wrong word because it's terrible and it hurt people. But it's an interesting fraud. It it wasn't really scalable or sustainable. You'd have to get fax numbers. It's time consuming. Um, technology changes that. That um, was a low tech. That effort. that was a low tech world. Um, I, there's probably not one listener uh, out there right now that hasn't had an email scam come to them. Um, and social media social media has the same problems. Except in my view, they offer more risk. And that is because with social media, especially if one is not careful with their privacy settings, the criminals know a lot more about you. Um, and they make you more susceptible uh, to, to fraudulent pitches. And we see every day in my agency examples of, inter- uh, of fraud being conducted via social media and the web. Oh, wow. It, yeah, it's just – and it's so easy to reach out to people on the internet. doesn't take any time at all. Um, you know, that and robocalls, which is which is a little bit beyond where you are. Um, it's not quite your realm of, of concern. But, boy, I'll tell you, what what I see on the Internet and what I get over my telephone or in my cell phone, it's just amazing. It's I get the robocalls at my office at the SEC three or four times a day pitching oh, me no. things. It's, 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 it's exceptionally frustrating. But but that's right. Not my area of expertise. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So, so um in terms of social media, you know, we used to hear about people who'd say, well, I'm, I'm corresponding with this woman from, let's, XYZ country. 
she sent me a picture. She's absolutely gorgeous. She wants to come here and meet me. We've been con conversing for six months, and I'm thinking about sending her $10,000 to get her to the United States. Now, what's wrong with that, Owen? It, you know, I talked to colleagues at the FTC and other agencies that deal directly with these issues. It's the same issues we see in the investment space. The problem is you don't know who you're dealing with. Right. Uh, and that, right. Is, that is why doing a background check. And that's check, the same kind of thing with the investment frauds. Absolutely. Because if you don't check them out, you don't know who you're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, this is a person out there in space somewhere. You know, they're up there in the clouds running around, ripping off consumers. And, and, and while that isn't really your realm, it reminds me of this whole business of investment frauds. If you don't check them, you may just end up losing a whole big lot of money. It's, it's exactly right. And I mean, in a lot of, um, there's a lot of internet chat rooms and, and spaces where investors can talk to one another. And if you go to any of those, any of those spaces on the web, what you'll see, I mean, I could pull up my phone right now and they'll be posting saying, I'm an insider. Oh, this stock's about to double. I've got secret information. I know what's going to happen. Um, and almost always, uh, those aren't real tips. Those are people who are trying to pump mm -hmm. up the stock price. Mm -hmm. And they may say, I'm an insider of the company. My name's John. But you have no idea who that is. Uh, and it's an easy way for criminals to promote fraud. So they, what they do is they raise the price of this little product, as you said, uh, and Right, exactly. There you go. They take the money out and they're right. gone. Or, they're happy and you lost your money. Yes, or they do the opposite. They they pretend they have bad news and make people sell and oh, they're shorting the stock, wow. which is a way of profiting off decline. And they the, go buy that. Right. The the point for the point for Main Street investors is that relying on rumors you hear on the internet or unsolicited pitches for investments, uh, that that is not likely to lead you to success long term in investing. Um, and to the extent you are interested in be, being an active trader and paying attention to what you hear, um, you need to be very careful that you're making decisions uh, based on full knowledge and you're asking mm -hmm. a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I think that's, that is such good advice. Go to the website, sec.gov, right? sec.gov, investor.gov. Uh, we have, we have plenty, I mean, literally hundreds of, of articles and tools investors can use uh, to help make better decisions and, and to protect themselves. Let's talk about the one that I think hits so hard on people because you don't realize you're being defrauded. And this is what we call affinity fraud. Whether it's somebody that's a member of your gym, your church, your family, your your country club, whatever, your investment group, tell us about affinity fraud. Absolutely. I mean, year in, year out, this continues to Is this one of the biggest ones? It's all in terms of Main Street retail fraud, it absolutely is. And, and Shirley described it exceptionally accurate. Uh, you know, the, the one of the examples I use often is it is at a church. Uh, a member of a church, perhaps, uh, you know, someone, someone who's senior, who you respect. Someone you trust. Someone it's, you trust. It's someone that you have an, a relationship of some sort Abs with. Absolutely. They'll, they'll offer you an investment. It may be tied to the affinity group. We've seen, uh, we've seen investments uh, at, at synagogue saying that it's going to, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help. This is going to help a certain place. Or you'll see at church saying, if you invest with us, we're going to build a community of, of, um, of faith with this. They tie it to who you are and you trust the person. And that dispels some of the, that makes you a little more hesitant to ask questions. Uh, it is the case often that sometimes the people who are part of the affinity fraud don't even know they're committing fraud. And, right. and that, that certainly can be true. Um, but if, if the fact that you go to church with someone or school with someone, uh, or you look the same, you have the same faith, you come from the same country, uh, if, if that that should never stop you from asking the hard questions. You know, what type of investment is this? Who's sponsoring it? What actually, what does it actually do? And usually, especially if the person is intentionally committing fraud, if you start pushing back with questions, they either will push away from you because they don't want to ask, or they'll give you answers that don't make sense. And mm -hmm. Shirley, I've heard you say this in other contexts. If you don't understand 
the product, the investment, do not buy it. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it because you're heading down the road to trouble, folks. Well, and the problem with investment, the infinity fraud is people won't report it because they don't want to get someone in trouble where they should. They And they, as you... And I think the most critical point is that they don't even realize they're being defrauded. But we we had one instance where uh, members of a church were approached through the church. And actually, the church was not exactly sponsoring it, but they were because it was being held at the church. They knew it was being held there. It was an investment kind of seminar. And the people lost their money. I mean, it's just it's terrible what happens. Thank you, Owen. It's been fascinating, as always. My guest has been Owen Donnelly. He's the chief counsel with the Office of Investor Education at the Securities and Exchange Commission. You've been listening to Of Consuming Interest right here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. I'm Shirley Rooker. Thank you for joining us. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.